Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. Exodus chapter 12. God said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of the year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month they must each select an animal of the flock according to their household one animal per household. If the household is too small for the whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You must have an unblemished animal. A year-old male, you may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep this animal until the 15th day of the month, then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat them. They are to eat that meal that night. They should eat it roasted over the fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over fire. Do not let any of it remain until morning. You must burn up any part of that that does not remain. Here is how you must eat it. Dress for travel. Your sandals on your feet. Your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry. It is God's Passover. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. I am God. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be the distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This day is to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to God. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. You must eat unleavened bread for seven days, on the first day, you must remove yeast, chametz, from your houses. Whoever eats what is leavened from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. You are to hold a sacred assembly on the first day and another sacred assembly on the seventh day. No work may be done. On those days, except for preparing what people need to eat, you may do only that. Verse 17, you are to observe the past festival of unleavened bread because on this very day I brought your ranks out of the land of Egypt. You must observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent statute. You are to eat unleavened bread on the first month from the evening of the 14th day of the month until the evening of the 21st day. Yeast chametz must not be found in your houses for seven days. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Do as you have heard. Slaughter the Paschal lamb and take a cluster of hyssop. Tip it in the blood that is in the basin and brush the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out of the door of this house until morning. Keep this commandment 
permanently as a statue for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that God will give you as he promised, you are to observe this ritual. And when your children ask you, what does this ritual mean to you? You are to reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to God. For God passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and spared our homes. So the people bowed down and worshiped. Then the Israelites went and did this. They did just as God had commanded Moses and Aaron. Passover. Passover, the story that you have heard in the book of Exodus. Passover, the story of Jewish liberation. Passover, the story of leaving servitude to Pharaoh, to servitude and obedience to the God of the Israelites. Passover, the story of miracles, not just the plagues, but miracles in the wilderness, miracles that Moses experienced before he returned to Pharaoh. Passover. It is very common for me to speak with you on our show about the celebration of Passover, the nuances of the Passover evening meal, the specifics of the Haggadah and the history behind the book known as the Haggadah. But this morning, I want to speak with you about something different. I want to speak to you about the five major concepts that Passover has given to the world. And they are different than the specifics of the holiday celebration. Passover has been responsible for some of the greatest contributions that the Jewish people have given to the world. And these five contributions can be summarized in five singular words. Memory, optimism, faith, family, and responsibility. The Irish Catholic writer Thomas Cahill was so overwhelmed by how the Jewish people literally transformed the world that he authored what proved to be an international bestseller known as The Gifts of the Jews. <coughs> One of the major gifts he credits to Jewish genius is the invention of the idea of history. Remember that you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Remember that God took you out of the bondage of slavery. Remember, Zachor is the biblical mandate that has never seemed more important to anyone else before the Jewish people came on the scene. It was the Passover story that initiated a commitment to memory. In our own time, Henry Ford was famous for his belief that history, as he would say, is bunk. The Ford Motor Company is also famous for producing the Edsel, and both were probably equal stupid blunders. History is the only way we can learn from the past. History allows us to grow by standing on the shoulders of the giants that came before us. Make a mistake once and you're human. Never learn from what happened before and you're brainless. That is why it is so important to heed the famous 
words of George Santayana, those who do not learn from the past are condemned to repeat it. We know today how horrible it can be to live without a personal memory of events that preceded. For an individual, we have a name that fills us with terror, Alzheimer's. It is a disease we fear perhaps even more than death because it leaves us living corpses. Strangely enough, we don't have a similar word for the condition that describes ignorance of our collective human past. Knowing what came before is almost as important in a historical sense as it is in a personal one. Only by being aware of our past as a people can our lives become filled with purpose and meaning. Memory links our past to our future. It turns history into destiny. Learning to treasure it was the first step in our climb to the ladder of greatness. To study the Passover story in depth is to recognize that the most difficult task Moses had to perform was not to get the Jews out of Egypt, but to get Egypt out of the Jews. They had become so habituated to their status as slaves, they lost all hope that they would ever improve their lot. Without hope, they would have been lost as a people. The true miracle of Passover and its relevance throughout the ages is the message that with God's help, no difficulty is insurmountable. A tyrant like Pharaoh could be overthrown. A nation as powerful as Egypt could be defeated. Slaves could become free. The oppressed could break the shackles of their captivity. And anything is possible if only, as the story suggests, we dare to dream the impossible dream. In the United States, the story of the Great Seal, a particularly relevant chapter, is the imagery suggested by Benjamin Franklin in August 1776. He chose the dramatic scene described in Exodus, where people confront a tyrant in order to gain their freedom. Pharaoh, sitting in an open chariot, a crown on his head and a sword in his hand, passing through the divided waters of the Red Sea in pursuit of the Israelites, raised from a pillar of fire in the cloud expressive of the divine presence and command, beaming on Moses who stands on the shore and extending his hand over the sea causes it to overwhelm Pharaoh. That is the picture that's painted by America's great seal. The motto he suggested, words based on the Passover story, inspired George Washington and the founding fathers of the American colonies to rebel against their British oppressors. Franklin suggested that the motto of the American Revolution to be rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. It was the biblical record of Exodus that enabled the spirit of optimism to prevail for the followers of Martin Luther King Jr. in their quest for equal rights because they were stirred by the vision of Moses leading his people to the promised land. It was the hope engendered by recalling how God redeemed our ancestors that even allowed Jews incarcerated in Auschwitz to furtively celebrate the festival of freedom 
and the festival of Hanukkah and believe in the possibility of their own liberation against all odds. The optimistic spirit, based on our miraculous history as a people, is the second gift that Jews have given through the Passover story to humanity and defines our identity as a people of faith. The third great gift of the Jewish people through the story of Passover is the importance of faith. A pessimist, it's been said, is someone who has no visible means of support. Jewish optimism is rooted in a contrary notion, a firmly held belief that we are blessed with support from above by a caring God. And a faith in a personal God gives us faith in ourselves, in our future, and in our ability to change the world. The God of Sinai did not say, I am the Lord your God who created the heavens and earth. Instead, God proclaimed, I am Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage. The God of creation could theoretically have forsaken the world once he completed the task. The God of Exodus made clear that God is constantly involved in our history and has a commitment to the survival not only of the Jewish people, but of humanity in general. Thomas Cahill, as I mentioned earlier, the author of the book entitled The Gift of the Jews, credits the Jews not only for monotheism, but for this additional groundbreaking idea of a divine being with whom we share a personal relationship this, he points out, is the key to Western civilization's concept of personal accountability, conscience, and culpability for ourselves and the rest of the world. The Passover story conveys that history is not happenstance. It follows a divine master plan. It has a predestined order. And order in Hebrew is seder. And that is why the major ritual of Passover is identified by that name. Coincidence is not a Jewish theological concept. Coincidence is just God's way of choosing to remain anonymous as history progresses. I want to speak more about that later when I chat with you about Passover and the Purim story. Faith gives us the certainty that whatever our present-day problems, history will move in the direction of the final messianic redemption. That is what has always motivated the Jewish people to believe in progress and to participate in tikkun olam, efforts to improve the world. Faith is what implores us not to be passive recipients of what the world presents us, to be active participants in the world, and in the need for change to fulfill God's request. Passover taught the Jewish people and through the Jewish people the world, the way to perfect the world is to begin with our own families. God built this nation by commanding not a collective gathering of hundreds of thousands of people in a public square, but by asking Jews to turn their homes into places of family worship as I read in Exodus 12, they shall gather in family groups 
for the eating of the Paschal sacrifice. The Seder is devoted primarily to the gathering of family and friends and to the answering of questions of children. It may seem all too obvious that children are our future. It may seem all too obvious that they are the ones who require our attention. But the home, according to Judaism, is where we first form our identities and discover our values. More than even the synagogue, the house of prayer, it is in our homes that we sow the seeds of the future and ensure our continuity of a people. No wonder then that the ancient commentators pointed out that the first letter of the Torah is a bet, the letter whose meaning is also house, by it. All the Torah follows only after we understand the primacy of the family. As often happens, important values are mocked by those who don't share them. It's not uncommon, certainly in an older time and in earlier days, that the world would mock Jewish parents for their overprotectiveness and their child-centered way of life. But they are the ones chiefly responsible for the extraordinary achievements of their progeny. At the Seder table, the children are encouraged to be the stars of the evening, and their questions are treated with ultimate respect. That is the first step to developing Jewish belief, Jewish faith, Jewish commitment to memory. It is the first step in conveying to children the importance of asking questions and searching for answers, even if the answers are not so clear-cut. One serious question begins to be asked as we celebrate, as we prepare to celebrate our divine deliverance from the slavery of Egypt. We thank God for getting us out. But why did God allow us to become victims of such terrible mistreatment in the first place? Remember how the Torah says it in the beginning of Exodus? I'll read it to you, although I'm sure many of you already know. A new king who had not known Joseph came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Let us deal shrewdly with them, otherwise they will multiply further. And if war breaks out, they may join our enemies to fight against us and leave the country. So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramses as supply cities for Pharaoh. But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. They worked the Israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with difficult labor in brick and mortar and in all kinds of field work. They ruthlessly imposed all this work on them. Why is it that God makes the transition between the Jews who have come to settle in Egypt and find food 
to satiate their hunger from the famine in the land of Canaan. The Jews who are the descendants of Joseph and his brothers who have risen to high ranks. Why is it that God allowed in the story of the Jewish people them to come victims of such terrible mistreatment? A remarkable answer becomes evident in numerous Torah texts. We were slaves in Egypt, and so we have to have empathy for the downtrodden in every generation. We were slaves in Egypt, so we have to be concerned with the rights of strangers, the homeless, the impoverished. We experienced oppression, and so we must understand more than anyone else the pain of the oppressed. The tragedy of our encounter with injustice was no small measure meant to prepare us to serve throughout all future generations as spokespeople for those whose pain we can personally identify. Some would even suggest that the purpose of Jewish suffering was to turn us into a people committed to righting the wrongs of the world, to become partners with God in making the world worthy of final redemption. And of course, others would suggest that is why we are so disliked. That is why we are so persecuted. That from the midst of slavery, from the degradations of slavery, we have called out for the righteousness to be acted upon. From the suffering, we turned into a people whose clarion call was to right the wrongs of the world from a people under the yoke of the God of Egypt, Pharaoh. We emerge to be partners with God in making the world worthy of a final redemption. And so we begin the Seder by inviting the hungry and the homeless to join with us. Lo, this is the bread of affliction. Let all who are hungry come and eat, begins the Seder. And we conclude the Seder by opening the door for Elijah, It is our acceptance of responsibility to others that promotes us, that urges us to open the door for Elijah, the harbinger of the Messiah. From earliest childhood, every Jew identifies with these powerful ideas that are at the heart of Passover and its message. And precisely because memory optimism, faith, family, and responsibility have become such vital characteristics of our people. We return to the Seder as a source of these messages each year, and we do the best that we can to transmit these essential values of Passover to those who are part of the next generation. It's not just the matzah. It's not just the wine. It's not just the various symbolic expressions. It is this belief that the story has taught us something very important. And we are obligated to teach that story to others. You know, Passover marks the beginning of Jews becoming a people. 
It was a time that forged its national identity and values. We the Jews left Egypt amidst the most unbelievable miracles that could be imagined, starting with 10 plagues, which included the Nile turning into blood and the slaying of all the firstborn of Egypt. It culminated with the miraculous splitting of the Red Sea, saving the Jewish people and killing the advancing armored Egyptian armies. When we think of miracles, we reckon the splitting of the Red Sea as the magnus opus of miracles. Perhaps that's because of the variety of ways it's portrayed in movies, comic books. Perhaps that's because we have such powerful visuals Perhaps it is because each of us can place ourselves at the shores of the Red Sea and visualize the tremendous supernatural occurrence. From this exodus, our national character was formed. Our unswerving belief in the God of gods, the King of kings, that is where it was founded and continued with each generation. Passover was the time that our belief in God was developed beyond a mere intellectual concept. Through the open miracles that our far ancestors witnessed, our national identity became firm and unyielding, and our individual belief became unshakable. Passover serves as the foundational story of our people. And all of this was due, according to the text, to the massive occurrence of miracles during the time of the exodus from Egypt. Now, there are other stories that speak of miracles. For example, during the time of the holiday of Purim, miracles existed. But that miracle in that story was clearly less understood. It's during Passover that we learn that God unquestionably rules the world. God alone possesses the ability to change nature. He changes the hearts of kings and rulers. God is the ultimate cause, the story teaches us, and we see the effects. We see that God offers us two ways to affect change. One is through the suspension of nature, The other is within the natural process, miracles through the suspension of nature, such as the splitting of the Red Sea, impress upon us God's ability to rule the world in a very absolute and undeniable manner. Water whose nature is to fall, change, and stand like a stone. This is a major change in the nature of water. It is not water as we know it. It is similar to water but not exactly water since it does not fall. The nature of water during this splitting of the Red Sea changed then later reverts back to its own original form. The second form of miracles, the ones that occur within the nature but without nature changing, shows us something different. Perhaps we are not overtaken or initially impressed by them since they are not evident as miracles. However, they show the completely com- complete compatibility of nature to perform the will as God established it. In this form of nature, nature does not change. The laws and rules of nature are in effect, 
yet the logical outcome of nature is changed. What should have happened didn't. Instead of nature being changed to produce results that comply with the will of God, nature complied with the will of God to produce results that were compatible with that which we expected. Passover is more than what we eat. It's more than what we say. It is five important concepts and a lesson about miracles. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten wishing you shalom. You can hear a podcast of this program on the CHRI website or on iTunes. Good morning and have a good day. Israel, Israel.